0: Morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Amy Place, and I am a member of this congregation. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter or follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. I have a few announcements this morning. We're partnering with Big Brothers Big Sisters to help bring holiday cheer to children in our community. The giving tree is on the table in the atrium with names, ages, and gift ideas. Please take a name or two, purchase and wrap gifts, and return them to the church office by 3 p.m. on December 20th. Poinsettia memorials need to be submitted by tomorrow afternoon to ensure printing in the Christmas Eve service. Extra forms are available on the counter in the office if you want to fill one out today. After today's service, grab a cup of coffee, then help us decorate the atrium and sanctuary for the holidays. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. You are welcome here no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background. You are welcome here to join us as we proclaim worth in our spiritual journeys. You are welcome to join us as we sing songs that uplift our very beings. You are welcome to join us in community as we learn, live, and love together. All are welcome as we worship that which gives us each meaning and value. No matter what you call this building, this hour, or this gathering of people, we worship as one body illuminated by the light of the chalice. Let us gather our hearts and minds now for worship. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. You will find the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
1: Please rise now in spirit, or body, for our opening hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. join me in reciting the church's affirmation. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other in our doxology.
2: This morning, as we explore Advent together, I want to tell you another story about waiting, hope, love, joy, and light. With a Lamp in Every Corner by Janine Groschmeyer. Many years ago, in a land of Transylvania, in a mountain valley watered by quick rushing streams, shadowed by great forests of beech trees, there was a village of small wooden houses and dark shingled roofs. The people in the village were of the Unitarian religion, And they wanted a church of their own, a church set on the hillside that looks down upon the village like a mother looks upon her sleeping child. So all the people of the village labored long and hard to build themselves a church. The stonemasons hammered sharp chisels to cut great big blocks of gray stone. And then they set the stone into stout, sturdy walls. The glazers made tiny glass panes, fitted them neatly into windows with leaded lines. The foresters sawed tall beech trees into enormous beams and laid the trusses for ceilings, then covered the roof with close-fitted wooden shingles so not a drop of rain would leak through. The carpenters carved wood for the wide opening doors, setting them on strong pegs so the doors hung straight and square. A bell was brought in from a faraway city and then hoisted by ropes to heave and hoe to the top of the tower. The weavers wove fine cloths for the altar table. The cloths were embroidered with flowers and edged with lace. The Smiths hammered black iron tall lampstands and hammered thin bronze into shining oil lamps. Finally, when the church was done, the painting began. The painters mixed bright colors of royal red and shimmering gold and brilliant blue. And everyone in the village, people of all ages and genders, came to decorate the church. They painted flowers and trees. They painted designs around the windows and different ones around the doors. At the end of the day, when it was finished, when their church was finally done, all people of the village stood back to admire it and then sang a song of happiness and praise. Their village had a church now, a church set on the hillside, looking down upon the village like a mother looks down on her sleeping child. We will eat now, announced the elder of the village, because everyone was hungry after their long day's work. And later tonight, we'll come back and pray. So the people of the village went down the hillside to their homes and their suppers, all except one little girl named Zora and her father, who stayed behind. They had brought their own bread and cheese, and they ate their food slowly, sitting on the grass hillside, admiring their new church with its strong stone walls, a tall tower, and its magnificent bell. After they had eaten, he went back inside and opened those carved wooden doors to go into the gloriously painted sanctuary inside. Oh, look, Father, Zora cried, running from picture to picture with her footsteps echoing in the center of the church and turned her on slowly. See how grand? Yes, it is, said her father, looking around, nodding with pride. Yes, it is. But, Father, she said suddenly, we have not finished. What do you mean? There are tall oil lampstands along the walls, but there are no lamps. The church will be dark when people come back. Oh no, little one, her father said. The light of the church comes from the people. You shall see. He rang the bell to call the people to worship and then took his daughter by the hand and led her outside. They waited on the grassy hillside next to the beautiful church of strong gray stone. The sun had set behind the mountains and night was coming soon. Yet in the growing darkness, tiny points of light came from many directions and moved steadily up the hill. Each family is entrusted with a lamp, little one, her father explained. Each family lights its own way here. Where is our family's lamp? Your mother is carrying it. She'll be here soon. The many lights move closer together, gathering in one moving stream, all headed the same way, growing larger and brighter all the time. Zora's mother arrived, bearing a burning oil lamp in her hands. The father lifted Zora so she could set their family's lamp in its tall iron stand. All around the church, other families were doing the same, and soon the church was ablaze with light in every corner for all the people had gathered to pray and sing. All through the worship service, Zora watched the lights flicker and glow. She watched the family's lamp most of all. And when service was over... Her father lifted her high. She took the shining bronze lamp from a stand. Its curved sides were warm in her hands. Her mother carried the lamp home and with the flame lighting the way. The lamp lit their home as they returned. Zora washed her face and got ready for bed by its light. Mother, Zora began as she climbed into bed and lay down. Yes, little one, her mother asked, tucking the red wool blanket around her shoulders. Father said the light of church comes from its people. Yes, but also the people take their light from the church. Over on the table by the fireplace, the shiny bronze lamp was still burning. And we have that light every day. Yes, indeed, said Mother. Even when we are not at church, even when the lamp is not lit, we carry the light of truth in our minds and the flame of love in our hearts to show us the right way to be. The light, the light of truth and love will never go out. Never, said Zora, never, said her mother, and this bronze lamp will last many, many years. When you are grown, we will give the bronze lamp to you. When your children are grown, you can give the lamp to them, and you will carry it back and forth to church every time. But there's only one lamp, Zora said, so make another and let the light grow, and someday tell your children to make more lamps too. But for now, good night. Good night her mother said and kissed Zora once on this cheek and once on that cheek and once on the forehead. Zora closed her eyes, drifted into dreams while her mother looked down upon her sleeping child. The years passed, Zora grew, and the bronze lamp came into her possession. She kept it polished and clean, and when the bell rang out across the valley to call the people to worship, she carried the lamp back and forth to the church on the hillside, the flame always lighting her way. When the time came, she made more lamps and gave them to her children, who made more lamps and gave them to her children, or their children. And so it went on throughout the years, and even until today. And always, the light of truth and flame of love from that Unitarian church on the hillside continued to grow and show them and us the way. And that is our story for today. This morning we're worshipping as a community of all ages, so to bless those here and those joining us from afar, please join now in singing May Peace Surround You.
0: As we approach the time for our offering, give what you will for the church that has meant so much to you, for the church that meant so much to those who came before you, and for the church that will mean so much to people you will never know. Give what you will, for you are a generous people. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we've placed an offering basket in the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support.
1: I invite everyone now to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. You can start by putting your feet flat and firm on the ground. If you pray with your eyes closed, you're welcome to close them now. Take a moment, become aware of your body, your beating heart, your breathing lungs, people who make this congregation this morning. Let us journey into silence with this prayer. O God of waiting, we know in ways beyond the words our tongues can speak, beyond the thoughts our minds can think that love is present in life's agony and irony. But that doesn't stop us from wondering why it is so difficult to live in community and why we struggle over what it means to do good and how to do it here and now. How can we be vessels of good news to each other and to those around us who are in need? We claim the promise of prophets. Comfort for those who mourn a garland instead of ashes. We yearn to know peace and righteousness in this time and place. And we watch with deep concern as fear and fighting seem to hold the upper hand in so many places. And we long to know love's presence, even though we have trouble seeing it in the suffering. We dream of a better world and ask, what can we do to help? So here our prayers for those in sorrow and in need, for we would know love's presence is with us, even as we wait and watch and work for a better world. We raise our prayers for healing to those in pain and need. And now let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Please stay seated for our prayer hymn number 123, Spirit of Life. reading this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 3 beginning in the seventh verse. I'll set this up a little bit. So John the Baptist is traveling around preaching to people. John would eventually baptize Jesus. He's a wild character in the Bible if you remember the stories well. He wore animal skins and ate bugs and so on. So he's an interesting fella. Uh, if you want advice on how to start a Christmas card, just listen to what John says to his congregation right out the gate. So John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. That's what you should put in your Christmas card. You brood of vipers. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, John said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked, "'Teacher, what should we do?' And he said to them, "'Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you.' And then the soldiers asked him, "'And we, what should we do?' And he said to them, "'Do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages.'" His winnowing fork is in hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. Therein ends the reading. thank you to the choir. It's beautiful. So last week, last week I took my first flight since the pandemic started. As I was checking my bag, I happened to look up and noticed that there was mistletoe hanging above me and the lady at the baggage counter. <laughs> and so I looked at the lady and I said, "Don't you think it's just a tad bit risky to be kissing strangers in a pandemic?" And the lady looked at me and she said, not at all, because I'm not the one about to kiss their bag goodbye. (laughs) And with that, I flew off to Phoenix to spend a few days with my mentor. Many of you who have been around for a while may remember my mentor Earl. He preached here uh, from this pulpit about five years ago. He's been a dear friend of mine and my greatest professional cheerleader for just about a decade now. He's journeyed with me from college all the way through seminary and now into my first congregation. And just a few years back, Earl was diagnosed with dementia, and so visiting him has taken on some new meaning for me. And the night I got there, I treated him to a show by the Phoenix Symphony Orchestra, which in turn treated us to a holiday concert that put the both of us well into the Christmas spirit. As you might imagine, the symphony hall was decked out with Christmas decorations and beautiful light displays, and the people mingling around were dressed to the nines, and the bartenders wore tuxedos and mixed cocktails and poured endless wine. It was a magical evening. But once the concert was over and we filed into the downtown city streets, we were greeted by homeless people and addicts and beggars. There were car horns honking, the rancid smell of exhaust and police on just about every street corner. For me, the contrast between the world within the pristine Symphony Hall and the city streets was a living Advent lesson. Advent, as you well know, is the 40-day season before Christmas in which people of faith are invited to pause and reflect on the world that is and also the world that we're hoping and praying for. Advent comes from the word adventus, which is a Latin word that means coming or arrival. And in this case, what's coming is Christmas, the birth of Jesus, hope for humankind, or a light to guide the way. Advent, in its message of patient expectation, is countercultural. After all, the world is hell-bent on immediacy. Even Christmas seems to start on November 1st every year, with stores going all green and red, and radio stations blaring tinny Christmas music. But our faith tells us to take it slow. It says, slow down, and invite you to ask yourself, where am I, and how did I get here? But above all else, Advent is a call to consciousness, but it is also a season that warns us of the price we pay for consciousness. It reminds us that joy and sorrow are often in our hearts at the very same time. And finally, it asks us to consider that for many, this season isn't one of light and hope, but rather of loneliness and sorrow. I don't know if you subscribe to the Wausau Daily Herald, but on Thursday they published an especially Advent-like story. And perhaps you read about it too or saw it on the news. The Surgeon General's warning that America's youth are experiencing, quote, unprecedented challenges that are having devastating impacts on youth's mental health. After years of pandemic isolation, racism, school shootings, global warming, the ill effects of social media, and several other factors, the Surgeon General warns the adults in the room to wake up and do something because the kids aren't all right. I imagine you're like me, and you don't like reading about stuff like this. But it's the truth. And as the saying goes, the truth can hurt. And John the Baptist, who we heard from this morning, is one of Advent's main characters. And one of the things John is famous for, aside from eating honey-covered locusts and baptizing Jesus, is that, like the Surgeon General, he told tough truths. John, people, John told people what they didn't want to hear. And the price he paid for telling truth to power was with his life. And history shows us over and over again that people who speak truth to power often get shut up one way or another. The thing about telling the truth is that it exposes falsehood. And when someone tells or discovers a truth about us, it can be a painful thing. It can be painful because telling the truth demands judgment. Is something right or wrong? Is it good or bad? And people don't like being judged. My time as a minister has taught me that the people who don't like judgment are often the ones who fear it the most. And it's not that we're allergic to judgment. I'd go so far as to say that most of us are in fact experts when it comes to pointing out the splinter in other people's eyes. But the issue has to do with us looking past the log in our own. But casting judgment on others for being judgmental is a very human trait. We love to judge, don't we? We just don't like being judged. Now Howard Thurman, who some regard as the theological backbone of the civil rights movement, was a spiritual advisor to Martin Luther King Jr. and the longtime dean of Marsh Chapel at Boston University. And Thurman believed that humans love to judge, but that judgment ultimately belongs to God. Our spiritual ancestors here in this church, the Universalists, they believed very much like Thurman did. In one of Thurman's meditations, he writes about humankind's approach to judgment. And this is what he says. Listen closely. It is a very subtle temptation to decide that the negative deeds which flow from one's life to others are not expressive of one's real intent. I'm going to read that again. It is a very subtle temptation to decide that the negative deeds which flow from one's life to others are not expressive of one's real intent. Did you catch that point? The first half of it says everybody makes mistakes, right? But when we make a mistake and we know a bit of truth-telling and judgment is coming our way, what do we often do when we make mistakes? We make excuses. You know you do it. I know you do it. I do it too. And we say things like, oh, it's been a tough week at work. My boss is just breathing down my neck. Or, I'm sorry, but I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Or, I wouldn't be so mean if you weren't so mean. Or, I didn't really mean it. I just need that second cup of coffee, and I'll be good to go. But what Thurman wants us to do is face the fact when it's true that some of the negative deeds we do were really what we intended. Flannery O'Connor knew this human tendency, and she explored it in her beautiful fiction. And she once said this, quote, My subject in fiction is the action of grace in a territory held largely by the devil. What O'Connor often wrote about were flawed people in a flawed world. But within this, she wrote about a world and a people, though flawed, also charged with grace and joy and mercy. In other words, she wrote about us. She wrote about life how it's a mysterious gift stuffed with pandemics and selfishness and slow supply chains alongside laughter and friendship and love. O'Connor's writing is an advent unto itself. And what she understood about us is that none of us want all of our desires to be known. We don't want to be caught. We don't want to be found out. I'm really, I'm going to ask you a question. It's going to be a thought experiment. So really... Please, raise your hand. Who here would really want to sit down and watch a movie that showed every single moment of your life? My daughter raising her hand, she probably would. Who here would really like to watch a movie that showed every little conversation you've had, every little email you fired off, every little text message you've sent or almost sent Every little thing you've downloaded on your computer or your phone. And then on this DVD, every little thought you've had would be in the special features section. How many of you would want to sit down to this movie? Nobody, except my daughter. She keeps raising her hand. It's this reality that Advent wants us to reflect on. So a good friend of mine said that the central paradox of the human condition is that what we hunger for most is to be known and appreciated, and yet being fully known is also what we fear the most. The risk we run in protecting ourselves from being found out is that we come to believe in the ego we've invested in, the ego that we've invested in that we won't let be judged, the ego that's always right. The ego that's seldom sorry, the ego that feels very little at the sight and sound of suffering or mercy or grace or faith. Advent asks us to tell the truth to ourselves and then to someone else in the world. And the reason why we do this is so we don't end up believing in the masks we wear, trying to hide our weaknesses. Advent wants us to accept this and it wants us to forgive ourselves. It also tells us to stop judging others, to stop trying to manage everyone else's life, to stop trying to manage every little bit of our kids' lives or our husbands' lives or our wives' lives or our neighbors' lives. It tells us this because in the end, we're powerless to do so anyways. And so why waste the time? I think of the old saying, mind your business. There's really two parts to that old saying. The first half, it tells us to just leave people alone. And secondly, it tells us to give most of our mind to the life we're living. I thought about this when I took a flight. The flight attendants, they always stand in front of us, and what do they tell us? They tell us that in the rare event of a loss of cabin pressure, the oxygen masks will fall down. And who do we put it on first? We put it on ourselves. The point of this little reminder is to get us to realize that when the world is in chaos, the best thing you can do is slow down and think. Take stock of what's really in your control and then what's worth doing. I imagine that if Advent were a flight attendant, he'd say, mind your life, mind your health, mind your wholeness, mind your loves. The hope of Christmas is pointless. If it's just abstract, after all the longing and the sorrow and the hope and love you'll take into this new year is yours. But here's what I'd like to ask of all of you this Christmas season I want to invite all of you to just be present, be open, force nothing. Just let yourself be, your worries and fears, your hopes and desires just let them be. Don't try too hard. Give the rest of this season to watching and waiting and giving and receiving. Tell someone a secret. Tell your kids you love them. Tell your spouse you love them. And stop trying so hard to hide your weaknesses. Just accept them. Tell someone you're sorry. Make a change for the better. Stop drinking. Stop drugging. Stop doom scrolling. Stop undersleeping and overeating. And stop beating yourself up. Stop looking for all the little things that annoy and disappoint you. We've all done enough this year, maybe even too much. We've done enough keeping up with the Joneses, with ourselves, with our frolicking little egos. So finish your shopping and stop stop for Christmas, stop for Santa, just be. Be present, open, awake, listening and lightening up as you catch your breath. And let the holy scatter our pride. Let it scatter your inner critic, let it scatter the outer critic. Let the music of this season soothe our souls and listen for mercy and healing and go outside and wonder at the stars. Build a snowman and listen and imagine, or maybe just do nothing, wait for a miracle. Here on the edge of Christmas, pause for a moment and ask yourself, how did I get here? And where am I going? Amen. You're welcome to rise now in spirit or body for our closing hymn number 235, Deck the Halls. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. If you came here with someone, you're welcome to take their hand now. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that casts out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. You're welcome to have a seat, relax, and enjoy the postlude. I'll see you shortly.